What's up, guys? Welcome back to Storytime with Uncle Reddit. My name's John, and this is r slash Tales from Tech Support. So we're back from camping. Just did a malicious compliance video over on the other channel if you want to go check that out. And yeah, we had a good time. We uh, There was a few little flubs and mistakes and bumps in the road, but uh, we survived. It was uh, pretty decent weather overall. We had a big hailstorm last night in the middle of the night. I thought for sure we were going to get a hail bath through all the skylights in that camper, but... Uh, Everything survived, and uh, now we're back at home, and life is good. All right, let's do some tech support. The Farmer's Laptop. Long-time lurker, first-time poster. I'm on mobile, and English is not my first language, so sorry for any grammar mistakes. Little background. I don't actually work in tech support, but I'm the go-to guy for anything that has at least one volt of electricity in it for my family. And my job? I'm a farmer. You read that right. I got my first PC with Windows 98 when I was 8, and since then it was at the repair shop at least once a month because I was tinkering all the time with it. Now I'm using Linux as my go-to OS on everything. Built and deployed my own home server for various things, overhauled the networking of the house, and so forth. The story. I was outside, working, mixing various types of pig feed for the various types of pigs we breed on our farm. My mother had some bills to pay and she hops on the only Windows laptop we have at the house. The laptop is a designated computer for anything government, business, or banking related. Nothing else. I made that rule specifically. I keep Windows on it because I don't want my old folks to learn a new operating system from scratch, and I'm sure they don't want to either. We had this conversation. Sure enough, something was wrong when she wanted to boot it up. The laptop was dead slow. It took 15 minutes to get the desktop, and the antivirus icon wasn't even there. Of course, she calls me immediately, explaining the situation. While walking to the house, I was thinking to myself, Is the SSD drive busted? Could it be something else? The SSD was the first thing that came to mind. It's an old Samsung 850 Evo on 128GB, and it's about 10 years old. The laptop is 8 or 9. I sit down at the laptop and start clicking around. The start menu took a solid minute to open. Wow. Half the programs didn't even show up in the taskbar, so I open up the task manager and a strange service is hogging up the entire CPU. I google the service name on my phone. Windows Updates. Then it dawned on me. Usually when I work, I listen to Uncle Reddit reading- Oh, that's me! Then it dawned on me, usually when I work, I listen to Uncle Reddit reading these to pass the time. I go check the uptime, 34 days. So this little dual-core, fourth-generation i3 laptop was working on installing a month's worth of updates. Oof. And apparently someone didn't follow my instructions on shutting it down properly when they're done with it. I almost never use it. I reboot the laptop. It took two hours to install the updates. Check the SSD. It wrote 11 terabyte in its lifetime. The health is good. If I hadn't been listening to the podcast of this Reddit while working, I'd probably took a bit longer to figure it out. Funny how most people think closing the lid is turning off the laptop. I'm still thinking of buying a new SSD, or better yet, maybe a new laptop. Well, OP, first let me say that I really appreciate you hanging out and listening to my podcast. I'm assuming you're on Spotify or something like that. That's really cool, and uh, I'm glad that me telling other people's stories has helped you because I know that my dumbass hasn't really helped much of anybody. Maybe to stay calm because I'm kind of chill like that. But other than that, uh, yeah. Now, if you want to know how to build something, man, I can really give you some tips and tricks there. But, you know, we all have our strengths and weaknesses. Oh, yeah. By the way, some of the smartest people I know are farmers. Keep that in mind. The client has to pay because their IT guy refuses to replace two patch cables. Actors, dude, DevOps hired by the client company. Colleague, my colleague stuck in the same quagmire as I am. To be short, we're an internet provider. We are not IT support. Nothing of the following mentioned in the post is in our job description, nor is it part of the client's contract or part of an SLA. 
As an ISP, our responsibilities end at the end of the fiber optic strand. Unless the customer router is owned by us or a contractual obligation or an SLA say otherwise. However, in the past, when we were a lot smaller and thus had a lot more free time, we used to give a helping hand to our customers pro bono, even for things that were not our direct responsibility. But now we're trying to fend that off when possible. It's okay if it's like five mails a year, single mails, not mail chains, and maybe a single visit to the customer a year, and it turns out to not be our fault or responsibility. We tolerate that much, but not more than that. And of course, this is only if it wasn't our mistake. When only a single customer has an issue, it tends to not be one of our mistakes. When you make a mistake in an ISP, it's usually at least the whole block that goes down. <laughs> and of course, we have other more important work to do, like making sure our WAN network works as expected and has enough capacity to carry increasing amounts of traffic. But now we have an old client from many years ago, back from the time when we did those pro bono favors. We did those more to court clients rather than having any real responsibility to do them. And that was okay. It wasn't too much. A couple of mails here and there, a couple of minutes of work. All until they hired their new DevOps dude. That DevOps came from another company that was also our client. But with that client, we have mistakenly signed an SLA that was really unfavorable for us. We still haven't gotten over the mistake that SLA was. But that's a story for another day. However, spoiler, this story does indeed have a good ending. Even before all of this, we've already learned the best way to educate such clients. But more about that later. Principally... Principally, dude was used to from his last job that we had to be obedient soldiers to him. My colleague even explicitly told him that he is now in a new company with a very different business relationship to us. He said okay, but in reality he didn't care at all about that. Go in one ear and out the other. His stance, both in his old and new job, was not my job, and the only thing I've seen the guy do was to scourge external contractors. I'm kidding a bit, but his former company had that disgusting outsource everything mentality. Dude is a little obsessed with replacing every router he sees with IDS IPS firewalls, which is not bad, but a little known thing about ISPs is that ISP doesn't really do much with firewalls, if anything at all. Mostly because the amount of traffic going through an ISP makes hardware firewalls prohibitively expensive and impractical. Hardware firewalls capable of doing and IPS filtering traffic over multiple 100G interfaces costs about as much as real estate where I live. Therefore, ISPs work with routers, not firewalls. The only firewall features on those routers usually being just access lists. Over these six years working in an ISP, there was barely a handful of times when I've been configuring a firewall with IPS slash IDS capabilities. And this time, we were smart. We've predicted that tickets are going to start flowing hard and fast. A lot of tickets. We didn't lease the firewall as part of our service. We sold the firewall to them. Because we've sold that firewall, it's their device. We don't have a responsibility to support it. They accepted the offer and bought the device. Although we still have a user account on the device, but so do they. We're willing to delete our user account whenever. Months passed. Tickets came. A lot of ball passing over emails. Two to three client visits to them. When one day, dude calls my colleague. When there are problematic cases like these, colleague prefers to put them on the speakerphone so that everyone can chime in and understands the situation. Dude. Hello, this is dude from Company X. There's no wireless in part of our office. We can barely reach speeds of 20 to 30 megabits per second. Can you please come over to us? Colleague, can you please tell me what's the color of the lights on the affected AP? Dude, it's white, which means the AP has no access to the firewall, which also acts as the AP's controller. Dude, I see that the patch cable's damaged. Colleague, have you tried to physically reboot the AP and change the patch cables? Dude, now shouting, I don't give a damn, I'm the client, that's your job, the patch cable's overrun, damaged. Colleague, visibly irritated, turns off his microphone. Yes, you are a client, but a client of what? Which of our services are you a client of? 
IT support's not in your package because we don't even do that in the first place. Colleague turning his microphone back on. Okay, someone will come take a look. Goodbye. As soon as the call ended, Colleague went to the secretary and asked her nicely if she can tell him what service does the client have contracted with us. The secretary told him, only an internet service, nothing more. I don't remember the exact speed, some 200M or 300M symmetric, nothing much. And my colleague had a huge grin on his face. At the same time, I've logged into the firewall AP controller and I have confirmed out of 10 APs, one was inaccessible and another was meshed. It wasn't supposed to be meshed. Everything else was normal. A problem exists, but alas, it wasn't under our jurisdiction. We send two of our new interns and technicians out to the client, and we explicitly tell them to fill out the work order in two copies and round out their time to the hour. As an ISP, none of this was our equipment, job, or responsibility. We're an ISP NOC. And we charge them for that. Two technicians times one hour. Around here, the market rate for a technician hour is around $100. So that ended up costing them $200 just to replace two patch cables and they had their own IT guy, dude who even identified the damaged cables, but was unwilling to do anything about it himself. That's the good ending. Even earlier, we've learned that the best way to wear off clients from little favors was when it becomes too much is to simply start charging for the favors. Even better, later, colleague proactively noticed that the firewall needed a firmware upgrade and contacted the client about it. The firmware upgrade was really needed. We didn't plan to charge them for that. However, dude, the first thing he asked is, will you also charge us for that? Yeah, we did charge them. A little bit unrelated, but why do many DevOps, not all of them, but a big part of them, why do they hate the ops side of their work? I don't get it. On one side, you have boring programming, clunky automation, and flaky cloud providers, while on the other side, you have interesting networks, sexy servers, innovative on-premises infrastructure. Sorry, that was a little hard to read, um, partially because it's getting late for me, and uh, I probably should have stopped a little while ago. But anyway, I don't know why one side hates the other. It's that way in every profession. I don't care where you are. You know, the contractors on a job site, the mechanical contractors, carpentry contractors, drywall contractors, you name it, all seem to be at odds with engineers and architects and things like that and vice versa. And sometimes even from trade to trade, you know, plumbers don't like the HVAC guys who don't like the ceiling guys who don't let, you know, and, and everybody's just out for themselves. And it rarely ever works out well when people are always at odds on a job site, but yeah, I think that's in every industry. There's always some little backbiting, you know, clicky competition thing going on. And I don't know. I'm not sure why, but it happens. Mild motivational initiative disruption. How a small change caused some big meetings. Many, many years ago, when I was still just a PFY and not the grumpy BOFH I am now. BOFH. I was working for a large MSP on a reasonable sized call center contract. We were doing tech support for one of the first internet ISPs, one with dial-up scripts and everything. They had a big global presence, supported in far-off exotic locations, Australia and New Zealand, by MSP staff. The team was all young, a few years out of school, and so while the work was work, there was fantastic camaraderie and late-night half-life lessons to sustain us to the next step in our careers. The company was a very great taste of soul-sucking cubicle hell with eight layers of management between us lowly serfs and anyone near the top. It was straight out of office space. It was basic tech support for an ISP in a fast downward spiral in a large and very drab, low-rise office building. We all knew this was a gateway to bigger and better things, and while there was no support from the middle to upper management, we had reasonable immediate bosses. We did our shifts and had enough fun to work towards the next job. Somewhere along this road, upper management, who we rarely saw, had some inspiration to try and make the office a little bit less office space and more hip and cool. 
as was the style of the first internet revolution, the late 90s, early 2000s. Others had funky lounges or beanbags and crazy bright colors on the walls. Google even bought a monorail carriage as a meeting room in their Sydney office. For us, our execs decided the solution was to hang three or four motivational posters around the office. If we don't take care of the customers, somebody else will. Yep, that kind. I mean, if that doesn't inspire you to support a dying, charge-by-the-minute dial-up ISP in the beginnings of cable and ADSL in Australia, then I don't know what else will. Arriving at the office to see this pitiful attempt at inspiration, we all collectively went, meh, and resumed the daily job of giving out dial-in numbers for different cities. The most popular ones we could do without looking them up. No need to switch from half-life window mid-call. Life went on. One day shortly afterwards, I arrived around 9 to discover an unusual air of quiet scandal hovering around the office. The word was quietly being passed around. Senior managers are pissed. Very senior managers have been involved. They are not happy. Why? What happened? Did a contract get cancelled? Was there a major customer complaint? How could so much attention be drawn on our little part of this big company? As our call center contract stated, we started at 7am, far earlier than most of the building staff. Even then, only a handful of people. One especially cheeky monkey had decided that this wee hour of the morning that we would turn one of the motivational posters uh, upside down. The mild amusement from his colleagues was not shared by the management team, who felt that this was a direct affront to their valiant and credible efforts at inspiring the workforce. Meetings dragged on all morning. Colleagues called in as witnesses. A lot of people had to try not to laugh over what clearly was a very serious issue. We were informed we were obviously in the wrong for even attempting a mild desecration of this sacred company relic, or even finding the situation amusing in any way. Luckily, the rambunctious lad who had caused irreparable damage to the company's reputation internally was allowed by the good graces of our betters to remain employed. To the relief of our immediate managers, nobody ever messed with the motivational posters again. I was never a good student in school. Hang with me. This will make sense in a minute, I think. But yeah, I was a lousy student. I didn't like doing my work. I had the attention deficit part of ADHD. Uh, I wasn't hyper. I was always this laid back. But I was always, you know, drifting off mentally, uh, looking out the window, looking at the ceiling tiles, doing weird things with pencils and pieces of paper and whatever. Anything but schoolwork, basically. Where was I going with this? <laughs> oh, anyway. And uh, I remember all around the school, no matter which school I was in, and I was in a few, all around the school were these motivational posters. You know, the ones like, hanging there, baby, with the cat hanging over a broomstick, which... Seemed like total abuse to me, but anyway. And I really didn't find much inspiration in them. It just seemed like the same old stuff you see in every school or every institution where children are involved. And, uh, I don't know. I got more motivation from certain teachers, friends, even the bullies sometimes were inspirational in their own effed up way. But anyway, that's a story for another day. Needless to say, I grew out of the inspirational crap, you know, the the regular old run-of-the-mill stuff and the bullies and all that, and uh, grew up to be a well-adjusted, bearded guy running my mouth on the internet. Yeah, that. PhD does not mean smart. Oh, don't get me started. Years and years ago now, I was the scientific support manager for a small company that made scientific modeling software. The title was Illusory. Illusory? I was responsible for all the tech support and tech writing. It was a nightmare. Most of the problems were due to the company's owner, president, Grand Poobah, but a few of the customers were special too. Most of the customers were from academia. Many had advanced degrees and some were inclined to be snotty to us mere minions on account of their supposed academic superiority. As it happens, I and most of my colleagues had PhDs too, as well as considerable expertise in, you know, the software we produced. 
One customer with a PhD, we'll call him Thud, got to be annoying by asking questions about things that were really basic and easy to find in the manuals. And if I may say so myself as the guy responsible for keeping those manuals up to date, they were pretty good. Before I joined the company, the manuals were comprehensive and well written. There was a complete book of tutorials leading the user through the steps towards doing various kinds of calculations. I improved their clarity and went all out on their indexes, making sure that one could find things by using relevant synonyms or phrases. One or two times when FUD wrote to me asking how do I do this thing with the software, I replied back with a brief description and noted that you can find all the details by looking in the index under thing, read the effing manual, yeah. Came the day when FUD wrote to me at my personal email address at the company to ask how he could get the software to do X. I prefer that people address such questions to the company's support address, which was forwarded to my own, against the possibility that I might someday have a chance to take a vacation, or for whatever reason might not be on hand to deal with support matters and one of my colleagues would have to cover for me, but that wasn't a major concern at that point. I got the question. Unfortunately, what FUD wanted to do was simply not feasible for our category of model, at a very fundamental level. He wanted to measure a thing that was beyond the scope of that field. We couldn't do it. None of our competitors could do it. No model of that type would ever be able to do it. I wrote back to him and explained the nature of the problem, in straightforward terms, because the guy seemed to be a bit dense. <laughs> I kept the writing level considerably below PhD standards. Fudd apparently didn't like what I told him, so he then wrote to the company's support address asking the exact same question again, which was of course relayed directly to me. So I wrote back to him, as I told you before, dropping the writing level down to about a bachelor's of science level. Fudd still didn't like that answer, so he wrote to the mailing list that our company maintained for our customers to discuss matters, asking the same question a third time. And as it happens, my responsibilities also included managing that mailing list. So I got to respond on that list. As I told you before when you wrote to me directly, and again when you wrote to me via the support address, this is fundamentally impossible because yada yada yada. A few months later, when we were planning changes to the software's drop-down menus for an upcoming new version, we were trying to figure out how to keep things straightforward for basic users while still allowing access to all the bells and whistles for those who needed them. One possibility that we discussed was a menu setting, a toggle box for show advanced options. One of my colleagues half-jokingly suggested that there should be three settings, regular, advanced, and FUD. <laughs> that last one would get rid of all the menu options and replace them with a single command. Calculate. <laughs> so, okay, I know I've said this a million times, and some of it's half-joking, but only half. I know quite a few PhD people, and let me tell you, I love them to death. Most of them are well-meaning people, but they do have a certain air about them that because they went through the process of getting a PhD, and I didn't. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I stifled my own education growing up. I get it, and, you know, we all have to learn from our mistakes and live with the results. But they think somehow because they arrived at the end of their PhD that somehow they're all smarter than we are. Uh, we meaning anybody with less than a Bachelor of Science or whatever, or less than a Master's. And uh, yeah, it's just not true. They're very smart in their specialized field, and maybe even slightly beyond that in maybe some related field. But something I like to say a lot is, uh, I love my PhD people, but I wouldn't trust most of them to cross the street without somebody holding their hand. And don't take offense. If you got PhDs, hey, and you're listening to me, you're smarter than the average. Trust me. All right, guys. Well, thanks for sharing a little bit of your day with me today. And uh, if you enjoyed everything, you know what to do. All right. Till the next video, we'll see you.